you know, I, I think anyone who's around our program and who talks about our team notices there's a certain joy around what we do and, mm -hmm. and, and how we behave. And I think, you know, I think every team or every business tries to, you know, have certain, you know, values they stand by, but it's a really a question of like, you know, when you look, do you see them? Do people right. believe them? Is it actually, you know, true to the spirit of what's going on? And I believe it is with us. Jamie Clark is the coach of the men's soccer team at the University of Washington. He's led the team to seven straight 12-win seasons, including three straight appearances in the Elite Eight of the NCAA D1 tournament and one championship game appearance in 2021. Needless to say, we were eager to hear about his career and what he thinks has led to the success of his program. But we were surprised by his answer. Welcome to Work is Good, a podcast where we aim to help people enjoy and excel at their work. We do this by having conversations about the beliefs, qualities, and habits that make that possible. We also start every episode with a brief housing market update and a mortgage question of the week. My name is Landon Buto with Cleveland Street Mortgage, and I host this show with my dad, Chris Buto, the owner and president at CSM. Please enjoy this week's episode. All right, Dad, we'll start with the housing market update for the week. What's going on this week? Yeah, Anything so the housing market update, um, really, it's kind of maybe more about 2023. We're kind of on the cusp of the new year. And, um, you know, I, I don't think we, we should expect a, a, you know, a big buyer's market likely in 2023. It doesn't mean it's not a good time to be a buyer. Um, but, you know, we've had a significant decrease in the number of buyers out there because of obvious reasons. Interest rates have gone up. Yeah. Markets softened a little bit. But that's been more than matched in the decrease in the number of sellers. You know, there's been a little bit of a kind of what they yeah. call a seller strike, you know, where sellers don't have to move. Um, right. you know, aren't moving and, and are delaying putting their property on the marketplace. And overall, there's been a 42% decline in deals like in the Was in Washington State, you know, or year on year, wow. you know, 42% less deals happening. Um, and prices have increased year over year. And, and that should continue for, you know, the, the, you know, prices increased year over year. Yeah. Now, the, the, the month to month reductions in prices are still going to continue for a while because we reached our peak in June of 2022 in terms of prices and still, so we're still going to see some declines from that peak still happening. Um, but you can look at, you know, the buyer's opportunities right now, you know, people evaluate markets in terms of balance. You know, is it a buyer's market, is it a seller's market? And a, and a balanced market is generally considered when there's six months inventory, you know, and there's, and right now in King County, there's 2.17 months of inventory. Um, Snohomish County is even less, 1.89 wow. months. And, and so on balance, it's still more of a seller's market. Now, where's the opportunity? You know, I think for buyers, the opportunity is that, you know, what we have now is kind of the opposite of pent-up demand. You know, pent-up demand, there is some of that, right, where buyers are sort of, you know, waiting and, yeah. and looking for that right moment. But, but really, there's a, there's a log jam of sellers out there, you know, because of the seller strike, because sellers have held off. And sellers ultimately have less f flexibility in general than a buyer does, right? A, a buyer typically goes, oh, I, I can lease for another year. I can live in this house for another year. But a seller, a lot of times they're moving because, you know, other forces are compelling them yeah. to do so. You know, they're getting older. Um, they need to move to a different location. They get a job change. Their, their family situation changes. And so sellers ultimately, I think, in general have less flexibility. And so I, I think that the longer we're into this market, that eventually those sellers are going to come back in. That month's inventory is going to go back up, move toward more of a balanced market. And I think there'll be some opportunities for buyers you know, to, yeah. to come up here in the spring, I think, is a great time to be paying attention. Because, yeah. you know, we're moving through the holiday season when everybody pulls back. 
you know, and, and we're moving into that traditional season. I think it's going to be very revealing. Mm. From the mortgage side, um, you know, this is a big week. You know, every month the most potent report that comes out, economic report that comes out is called the non-farm payroll or what they call the jobs report. And that you know, measured a whole lot of different things, uh, but it measures total job creation, and that's a that's kind of the top line number that people are looking at: how many jobs were created. And, and it's not always the, it's not usually the absolute number that matters. It's more the how did it perform versus expectations. You know, if if we're expecting three hundred thousand jobs to be created by tomorrow's release, you know, to have shown in the last month, and the number comes in at six hundred thousand, that's going to put upward pressure on interest rates because people are going to see a very robust economy and they've mm -hmm. already priced in the 300000 Right. and vice versa. Um, but the other thing it also measures is um, wages. You know, are we seeing price inflation? Are we seeing wage inflation? And so those that, that report is the single most watched report every month and that has a big possibility to move the market. So we'll watch that. We'll see how that's going. Um, interest rates have popped up you know, over the holiday season over mm. the last, you know, say, two or three weeks or so. We yeah. were up in the high fives, now we're in the mid sixes again. Mm. Um, so, you know, that's where we are. Yeah. Yeah. Great. All right. Well, Jamie, thanks for joining us today. Really appreciate it. We are just going to jump right in and we want to hear a little bit about just a general introduction of what you're doing right now, who you are. Um, where you're from, and we'll get we'll go back later into more of your story of how you've gotten to where you are. But just um, in terms of what you're doing right now, what do you have going on? Certainly, uh, my name is Jamie Clark, and I'm the head coach at University of Washington. Um, I feel like I have landed the jackpot of jobs because <laughs> I get to coach you know 18 to 22 year old kids and try to see them reach their dreams every day. So it's uh, it's a great gig, um, and you know, it's um, represent a great university. That's great. So, yeah, how long have you been at UW? Uh, been at University of Washington now, I think about 12 seasons, I believe. So um, 12 years going on, you know, it's, I'm, crazily enough, Jen Cohen, my boss, AD, she's got a, like a board of the head coaches yeah. and, and they move along chronologically. And I started at one end and then fairly close to the, the end of the longest tenured coaches. So there's only three above me now. It wow. doesn't seem like a long time, but I how, guess how many years. ADs have you seen? Come I've and go? seen three ADs now. Yeah. Jen's my third. Yeah. And um, is that unusual? Is, 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 or is that a high turnover position at major universities, ADs or? Um, you know, they have an interesting, you know, job in terms of their leadership position because yeah. as a coach you can you know it's I think easier sometimes to define success um, you know their their success gets defined by some stuff that's maybe out of their control right. they have to hire the right people but yeah. you know then they have to give them the room so yeah so it's it's an interesting position it's uh, it's you know sports leadership is, is fascinating yeah. from a from that perspective yeah. so I gotta ask you, how do you feel right now with uh, next season coming up? Past two years, you've had exciting two years. How, what are your thoughts overall going into next season? Certainly, um, you know, as a coach, and you've watched it across the board, you mm -hmm. never feel like you can ever sit comfortably because there should be other people, and, and it's the same in any profession that are working really hard to, you know, sort of upset you know the, the status quo at this moment so we've worked very hard and we've got ourselves to a place where we believe we're a top team in the country and um, one of the programs that that people look at that way but 
you know, it, it can change very quickly, and yeah. it changes in the professional game, changes in the college game, changes everything. Yeah. So very easy to get complacent. Uh, certainly, yeah. and so you know, and, and it's even, you know, there's strokes of luck, there's strokes of, um, you know, genius in there, and they're intertwined. And so, you know, we'd be foolish not to, you know, enjoy the good times because I'm, you know, I'm sure there'll be some years that'll be trickier than others. Sure. What uh, any any favorite games stand out in the last couple of years? Um, for me, the, you know, the, my favorite game that we've had here has been our St. Louis game to get into the College Cup, the Final Four last year. Um, we'd been in three straight Elite Eights, and we'd been f- in four in ten years, mm-hmm. and we just couldn't get over the hump mm-hmm. of like you know figuring out you know what what is the next you know how, how do we make the you know the College Cup and. It was, we finally got that game at home. So I think, you know, you, you, you get your seeding by having a great regular season. And up until then, um, especially the last two, we'd had to play on the road. We played at Georgetown and we played in a COVID shortened season, we mm. played a neutral game. So we finally got a home game and um, the crowd was there, the community backed us and it was just, you know, it was packed and sold out for days and it, it just felt right. And we, we finally, you know, sort of, got to, uh, you know, the quote-unquote promised land of Final Four, which in yeah. this country and college sports is where you want to be. So yeah. that was a game for awesome. me that did it. And um, What was the gameplay that one? Was the scoreline? That was 3 nothing actually. Okay. And, uh, you know, in a crazy way, it was much tighter than that. Um, but it was uh, – sorry, 2 nothing. And, okay. um, okay. and uh Late goal or – we scored too early. Okay. It was, you know, it was, it was eerily reminiscent of the national final, you know, a week later where the game was, you know, we gave up two goals in the national final and, and yet we pushed the whole game and we mm-hmm. felt like if we got one, it would have gotten really, yeah. really hairy at the end and we could have done it. And St. Louis was in the exact opposite. We scored too early in this game and we just managed to make sure that the lead stayed there. So we were never under huge duress or panic yeah. at all so it was uh a much closer than a two nothing result yeah but it was a great game that's great awesome well yeah let's go back a little i want to hear how how you got to where you are um have you always played soccer your dad's your dad coaches correct yes certainly or did coach or my dad my dad's story my there. dad's the soccer the you know he, uh, i'm you know, second in the in the, <laughs> the the family in terms of soccer, or maybe third because of my sister. She coaches actually at Caltech. So, okay. but uh, at least on the male side, to say yeah. my 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 father is a, a you know in Scotland a famous soccer player. He played for one club for seventeen years, hmm. Aberdeen, and um, played in three World Cup campaigns. So he was part of you know a lot of great wow. uh, you know soccer. Cool. What was interesting about him, and this is why I bring it up, is he. His parents, you know, in Scotland, you either sign professionally at 16 or you continue school. And that's just kind of how things work. You make a really early yeah. decision. And his parents wouldn't let him sign professionally until he went to university. So he's probably one of three players in his whole history or career that he ever played with that went to university. Wow. So fast forward to the end of his career, and he's running a youth academy for one of the most famous coaches in the world, Alex Ferguson. And mm-hmm. so Alex Ferguson's there. and and this was where Alex Ferguson sort of got his start was at Aberdeen and that youth academy actually was the group that vaulted Ferguson to his success because he won basically the Champions League at Aberdeen you know a version of it back in the day with a lot of homegrown players so in certain ways you know everyone looks at this 
group and says, wow, you know, you guys produced all these great young players. And my dad was part of that, you know, running the youth academy uh, while also playing. But to him, my dad looks at this and says, we produced six great players and probably brought, you know, 400 players out of high school that tried to make it professionally. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the professional game, you know, really highlights the success stories and forgets about the other stories. So, you know, and so my dad found out and came over here and he was coming over here just to work camps basically in the summer and and to check some stuff out Mm -hmm. that, oh man, this university soccer exists Mm -hmm. that you get to do both and you get to make kids, you know, you get to really let people explore and maximize both sides of their lives. And then at some point, safely, they can go into the professional game with a backup plan. So we, he loved that, mm. and that's when my family that's moved neat. over in 1984, and he moved over to Dartmouth College at the time, and we've been part of it since. So he coached at Dartmouth. Um, he took a little hiatus and coached the New Zealand national team, but he then coached at Stanford where I played for him. So I played for my dad there for three years, and then he went moved to Notre Dame where I was his assistant coach for a, a two-year period. Huh. But in terms of my coaching career, after I played, I had a short career. Played in MLS a little bit, played in Scotland a little bit. And then um, I didn't want to coach. You know, it's a big shadow he casts Mm -hmm. in a great way and a fantastic shadow. But I didn't want to necessarily um, be thought of as just riding his coattails. So I made sure when I started coaching, I went to University of New Mexico and sort of blazed my own path Mm -hmm. and worked with my own mentor. And and while I thank my dad for so much of what I know and, and, and my, you know, my makeup, that um, I wanted to do something differently. And so we went to New Mexico and were really successful for four years. We lost in a national championship game my last year there. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I decided to join my father for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And then from there, became my own head coach at Harvard for a few years, went to Creighton for a short stint, and then came to University of Washington. Wow. So well, long story for you, that's but great. that's how it happened. That was yeah. a great story. Awesome. So, Well, what is the the, the process of fine-tuning coaching looked like for you? What has your, your study of coaching and, and learning of that process looked like? Has it been academic somewhat or just mostly experience? What's that looked like? So, you know, from an early age, I sat around tables, you know, with, with a coach father. So I feel like I've, you know, I've got a PhD in just being, a, you know, a wallfly, so to speak, and listening and hearing things. So mm-hmm. I think that was my initial leg up is mm-hmm. that, you know, you just saw so many situations dealt with. And even as a player, people don't realize it, but as a player, when you're a player for your father who's also a coach, you get asked a lot of questions, and you're sort of in you're in an uncomfortable situation at times, yeah. but it, it puts you like almost Like, what is he saying? Coach. Did he mean this? Yeah, yeah on yeah. both sides, and you're just trying to make, and, you know, and, and so, so I basically had a great upbringing mm-hmm. in it. Yeah. And then since I started coaching, I haven't done a lot of the the actual licensing and, and, and academic right. piece. And it's something I would like to do. But I, what I try to do is I try to go and watch people instead. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel there is great value in watching and, and learning other people do their craft, especially people who are very successful mm-hmm. in, in what they do. Um, the actual licensure, um, I'm quite opinionated with many things. And, and, and it turns out the <laughs> licensure, uh, you know, in, in the NBA and all these places, they you know they don't worry so much about that. And in soccer, they have again 
whether it's a money grab or what it is, they're really, really um, focused on making sure you have certain certificates and criteria to coach. And um, unfortunately, I think some of it is becomes, and especially in this country, they really ask you to do things certain ways. Right. Instead of just yeah. asking you to say, hey, why do you do what you do? Hmm. And why is it successful? And how is it successful? So. I've avoided some of that you intentionally, think purposefully. Yeah, yeah. But for my own career, I maybe have to go back and actually. Sometimes you got to tick a certain boxes, and I may have to. Yeah. Now, why? Now, obviously, you've, you know, you've achieved, you know, head coach status at one of the premier um, Division One colleges, you know, in the United States. So, what? You know, what practically? Are you held back from because you don't check those boxes? Yeah, how, how is that? It can be a limiting factor in terms of you know, and, and I'm delighted with where I am, and I'm not trying to move in any which way. Sure, but but sure. if but if I wanted to volunteer for or take a part-time position with the U.S. national team or a Scottish national yeah. team or or something like that, they may ask me to have some licensure that I don't have. Okay. And so you just never want to, you know, it's like we tell our guys all the time, you, you want to make sure every door's open to you. So, you know, you got to do the preparation work, even if it's sometimes unglamorous or not what you want to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, I went through the very, very minimal, like, the grassroots co um, courses on those and so what you were talking about, do a certain thing a certain way and, yeah. um, you know, there, you already see so much variety that people who are successful are not doing it that way. So it's like, why is this the best way? Maybe a good way, but yeah. possibly not the only way, you know. And, and it's an interesting. It's I think in, in life that's why I always ask people, like, it's, you know, how, it, what, you know, why does something work? Not never really try to tell them you know, how it should work. Mm -hmm. and, and, and if, if people can explain their, their rationale well, I think that's a, uh, I think that's a valid point. Mm -hmm. What are your, um, you know, so uh, you know, learning from other soccer coaches who've been successful is, is an obvious thing to do. What, what about outside of soccer? Are there other, you know, who, who are the top influences in your life outside of soccer that have contributed to your success as a as a soccer coach, would you say? No, certainly it's a good question. And I think in a funny way, you, you learn more, you know, we get to find details from other soccer coaches. We get little nuances of how to do something differently, but it's usually within the same framework of what we're doing. Whereas when you go outside of it, and then let's still stay in sports to begin with, yeah. you know, um, we have a great, and this is why I love college athletics, that you don't get outside of it. You have, you know, we have 20 sports right. at University of Washington that we can go sit down and, mm. and chat with other coaching staffs and watch other practices and take things from such a different, you know, and, and sports that are so very different, like let's just use tennis, for example. like. And, and they have to be so exact, way more exacting with something and, and way more repetition than we would ever do. Um, but, you know, and, and how do you get some, you know, if you ask a soccer player necessarily to do and have as much repetition as they do, they would likely get bored. So how how, how do they navigate that mm -hmm. road? And so I think we're very fortunate. I think that's where a lot of the creativity comes from. So within our department, and I'll, you know, I'll give, um, again, my boss, Jen Cohen, and Chris Peterson, old football coach, um, credit because they've actually established something that we meet monthly and really sit down and share. And Chris Peterson, the old coach, actually comes back and, and really cool. facilitates the yeah. whole thing. So kind so of a mastermind sort of yeah. thing for all the sports coaches within 
University of Washington. That's Certainly. So so that's yeah. a great one. Um, and then I just have, you know, friends and people growing up that you start to really respect. And, you know, one's a the high school principal. So he, you know, is a leader of, of people and, and students and in a very different way. And then, you know, family, brother who's a, who's a physician and, and runs a nonprofit. Like, you know, he's always pushing me different ways. And so you, you just... You really have an inner circle that you always, hopefully, are always feeding you information, whether it's books, whether it's, you know, essays, whether it's videos. It doesn't really matter, but I feel like you have to be a lifelong learner, and your good friends are always pushing you to be so. Hmm. That's correct. Right. Yeah, I, I would love to hear about um, just in, in terms of your organization within your team. Um, obviously, you guys have had some some success over the last couple of years and just a lot of growth um, and are a top team, top program. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm curious from the organizational level um, if there's anything that, that comes to mind for you that sets you guys apart in terms of a belief that you have in, as an organization or a habit you, you, you've built or um, just a, a principle um, anything come to mind there? Certainly. Um, but, you know, a few things. And, you know, sometimes it's about unpacking things rather than the initial word. But, you know, I, I think anyone who's around our program and who talks about our team notices a certain joy around what we do and, mm. and, and how we behave. And I think so, you know, the three the three big words are probably joy, bravery, and courage that we mm. talk about a lot. And I wouldn't say we... We don't hang a ton of like you know mantras around our uh, mm-hmm. locker room, but we make sure we're referring to these mm-hmm. things a lot. And so those are probably the three big ones. Um, you know h- how you find those, uh, or, or how you define, or how you make sure that, that your teams are living them mm-hmm. is usually, you know, I think every team or every business tries to you know have certain you know values they stand by, but it's a really a question of like. You know, when you look, do you see them? Do people right. believe them? Is it actually, you know, true to the spirit of what's going on? And I believe it is with us. And, you yeah. know, and again, I, I, you know, what are the factors that lead to that? Again, players want to stay. You know, you, we, we, don't, we don't have people wanting to leave, even players who don't play a lot. You know, generally speaking, we have a culture that people want to be around and play and, mm-hmm. and earn their stuff. So for me, it says, okay, these guys are having a good time. Um, and I think that's the most initial thing. Yeah. And then can they be successful? Well, I think the success for me is the byproduct of a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And if, if we're doing those three things right, and again, you can ask me any questions about those three, but like, I think the results will end up being that we will we'll find the success right. that we found over the last few years. Yeah. How have you, how have you um, consciously approached, you know, we want to be a, an organization marked by joy. Yeah. How have you approached making sure that happens? Well, I think to start with, I think, you know, from upper, you know, management, which I guess as coaching staff is, you know, it's to make sure that, that it's, um, it's what we're, you know, it's what we're about. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, um, and, you know, do we truly enjoy where we're at and what we're doing? And if we do, then, you know, I think it will trickle down at least to some degree to other um, players that are there. But I think, you know, it comes in a, a variety of forms. Um, you know, 
just you know i'll try to use a couple little examples but like you know when we're doing video you know and it's something i have heard from someone but like we really do we show all positive aspects of the game we rarely show we will show correctable moments but we'll you know we'll show certainly on like a four to one ratio or more like hey things that we do well right um and i think that that you know things like that that start people start to believe what you focus on you know and i think from the top level if you really want to be happy and content i think you got to focus on strategies that that where are you today right and, and your position in terms of what you know what do we have around the university of washington what are our um strategic strengths and live in those right like there's no point in worrying about stuff that's outside of you know like so all of a sudden when you start worrying or focusing on stuff that we are good at um, and that we have at our disposal and not worrying about what we don't. There's plenty of stuff that we don't have mm-hmm. that other schools do. But once we start living in that space, yeah. Yeah. We, we start being able to say, yeah, we're, we're, and, and making that really your strength. So, so we really focus <clears throat> on, you know, again, you know, who, who is the makeup of our team? Let's start there, you know. And again, you know, it's just like having a budget. We have a scholarship budget, right? So we have... You know, we're not like football where there's a headcount sport. You either get, it's kind of binary, ones and zeros, right? You get a full scholarship or you get nothing. Hmm. Soccer, we have 9.9 to divide up by 30 players. So, you know, just very quickly, in-state players cost half as much with tuition as out-of-state players or even a third as much. So instead of worrying about not being able to get out-of-state players, we're going to live in a space where we're going to love our in-state players and we're going to make representing Washington a source of pride mm. and joy and and, yeah. and we've grown that over the years yeah. but like and so that's I'm you know I'm trying to give concrete examples of right. like how yeah, you live great. in spaces that you know and and so that's the first part exactly gratitude yeah. the joy and and not worrying about the stuff that you don't have mm-hmm. um, and focusing on the stuff you do so that's where we're really at and then it comes down to the team um, you know it really is it's it's I think when you ask the other stuff, like if you give the, the players a chance to be brave, i.e., what's that really mean? It means the ability to fail and the ability to succeed because that's basically what bravery is going to, right? It's going to mm-hmm. entail a lot of failures along the way. And if you give them the chance to do those things, it becomes pretty fun, right? Mm-hmm. And and so, I, you know, like those are the pieces that we really push. And we're, you know, I raise my voice occasionally at halftime for energy's sake but i mean i haven't raised my voice at anyone or anything other than that you know in years because i just i don't you know it's it's not fun no one no one likes to be you know we'll have candid and stern conversations but you know i know how i grew up and i know what i like and in turn i try to use those examples of of how to educate and teach others who who would be your um model like EPL coach day. And sorry, my, my uh, familiarity with the whole soccer world is probably you know, pretty narrow, but, but I watched some EPL, so that, that that's just a reference point for me. But, Certainly. But like who amongst all of those great coaches do you look at and say, that's kind of that's kind of the model I would like? Because you see some of them, they always look stern, some are always yelling, you know, and, and some of them are just quiet. And exactly. No, you're right. And yeah. it's the same in, in anything. I have a lot of respect for a lot of people, but they don't necessarily do it my way, which right, is fine, right? right? right. And in the Premier League, when I look, um, Jurgen Klopp is the guy, That's what came to mind. right? right. And he's yeah. he's so he positive. Looks joyful. Yeah. Oh, he's yeah. so and you know, and again, he you know, he's, I'm sure he you know has to mask things along the way, but he's sure. to his players. There's always an arm around him. You feel like yeah. his players want to play for him. 
They play with an energy and an enthusiasm. It's great. It's being tested this year. Um, sure. Yeah. But that that's part of it, right? Yeah. And that's actually probably when you learn the most is when it's being tested. But, yeah, it's funny because that's um, – you know, in theory, I was a Manchester United fan because of Ferguson always growing yeah. up. Yeah. But I've had to, you know, and it's hard to turn. But, I, you know, since I'm not a full fan, I do move. I move allegiances due to due to coaches. Yeah. That's the same, same with me. On a much yeah. less sophisticated level, but yes. Right. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. People, people if you're really not like there, if you're, you don't grow up there, you have some allegiance, but it's hard to really, yeah. really, truly be. No, you didn't grow up in Manchester right. and wearing yeah. a red jersey. It's like, right. no, I'm going to go. Yeah. You know, w- with the people that I that I enjoy listening to and and watching, and yeah, yeah, mental or yeah, following, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, well, I'll conclude with um, uh, the last question here. And the the thesis of our show is that work itself is good. Um, the title is work is good, and that's because we believe that you know in a time when when work is seen in various lights but commonly as just kind of a means to an end um, and that it's a necessary evil um, that the process of work is is a good thing and um, so I I would love to hear your perspective on on your role the work that you do um, you know know, the, the good the bad and the ugly all of that comes together in and it doesn't just have to be the end product but something about the work that you do or the process that really gives you joy in the work that you do certainly and i couldn't agree more i mean it's you know if we don't find value in what we spend hours doing um you know then then it leads to you know a fairly mundane and 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 sad existence Um, because we do we all spend a lot of time working um i'll start by quickly Given my 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 home life is my wife's a nurse practitioner and works in the NICU and so she always laughs and doesn't call my job a job because <laughs> you know she's she's in the hospital every day in intensive lives. care yeah. and 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 she's doing great work and 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 there's so many other people doing work that um, you know maybe more directly acutely you know uh, can be seen but I feel my my work is very important and and there's nothing. I like more than building relationships and watching people succeed. And, and everyone on the outside, there's sort of two scoreboards, right? There's society <coughs> scoreboards people talk about, and that's what, you know, what am I here to people ask about? People ask about the College Cup and the wins and the losses. And I, I recognize that that is how I will be judged externally mm-hmm. always. But internally and within the program, we, you know, I judge my work by relationships and time. and. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just at Christian Rodon's wedding on New Year's Eve, and, and there's nothing that makes me happier than seeing these guys continue and grow and be part of their lives. And, and to think that along the way, some of our conversations or some of the work we did hopefully um, built them into who they are. Yeah. You know, and again, it's, and it, people, you know, is it specific things or is it no? It's different for every person, but just to feel like, you're really part of creating these young leaders and trying to actually help them hopefully feel the same way that whatever they work at in life is going to yeah. be important and it's going to have meaning uh, is, is huge. So I would say that's the most important thing for me, um, you know, and, and I and, and I think the beauty of it and this is how it brings it all together is I think by having that perspective and building relationships, 
it goes back to my three words, right? And it, you know, it will build, you know, if people really think that you care about them, that will build the confidence and the confidence will allow people to be brave and fail and succeed. And that bravery and, and, and failure and successes will ultimately lead to growth and success, which helps, you know, with the joy. So, you know, they're all so intertwined, mm -hmm. but I do think that, that that's why I can focus less on the scoreboard and all that stuff and more on the people. And I still think it all comes back around to actually allowing me to keep doing my job because society's scoreboard still usually reads in our favor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah. Well said. Awesome. Well, thanks, Jamie. Certainly. Appreciate it. Oh, that was it really was great fun. to meet you. Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for listening to Work Is Good. If you enjoyed it, share it, leave a review, and listen next week.